You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. You know, none of us would probably say that we're a jealous person, right? You know, jealousy is one of those things that kind of swims along in our life. I remember two or three years ago that uh, my son and I, we camped out on the ice at night. We had a nice shelter, you know, an ice shack. And we've got the little heater and the cots. And it takes a lot of heat when basically you're sleeping on a huge block of ice. Sean, it doesn't take heat. It takes stupidity. That's what it really takes. Why in the world did you do such a thing? We did because we thought it was going to be fun. Anyway, so our whole thought was, oh, it's going to be great. We're in a fish all night and catch all kinds of fish and we caught like nothing that night I think one little dinky little, like a little bullhead like are you kidding me like that's what we got excited for and so we slept that night and the next morning you don't sleep in when you're sleeping on ice you know what I mean like you get up before you really want to get up but your body says no it's freezing it's time to get up and get moving and so we kind of fished a little bit more didn't hadn't caught anything and then I happened to just have this one hole and I was jigging and all of a sudden I pulled up a big bass like that I'm like well, where have you been all night you know and then another one I caught like three in a row so we were we were swearing that there's just like there's no fish in this whole pond there's just nothing here but they were still swimming around underneath that's kind of the way jealousy works in our life like we can be going along and we're you know fine and all of a sudden boom it can just kind of swim up and it kind of hits you in the face and so this morning we're going to see how serious and how significant jealousy really is and how it really can destroy your life and how it has a tendency to just to kind of creep in. So the story as we looked at last week that Pastor Steve preached was David and Goliath and David killed the giant and we pick up right after that. And so David and the whole entourage goes back right there was a great victory won and the enemy was defeated. And so uh, Israel's all excited. And so David comes back, Saul comes back, and here's where we pick the story up in 1 Samuel 18. Read with me here in verse, uh, verse 6. The Bible says this, As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry at this saying. And this saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they've ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? Can we say there's a little bit of jealousy going on in his heart, a little bit of comparing? Why is he more popular than me? What is going on? And in verse 9, And Saul eyed David, this is important, from that day on. That's the way jealousy works. It isn't a one-time thing that pops up and goes away. It pops up. And it kind of stays around, right? It's like a bad nightmare that just kind of keeps popping back in. And it stayed with him. The next day, a harmful spirit, an evil spirit, a demon, from God, not that God is, God is in control of everything. So God's not sitting here, oh, oh let's go get Saul over here. But these, the enemy is asking permission for all the time to attack us, and sometimes God allows it, and sometimes he doesn't. And in this particular instance, God allowed it. That enemy rushed upon Saul and he, talking about Saul, raved or raged within his house. He was a, just an angry man in his house. 
while David was playing the lyre, that little harp, as he did day by day. David's job was to kind of soothe the savage beast, if you will, and to praise and worship to God and, and to help Saul uh, cope and survive the spiritual attack of the enemy. And so here's where the story gets really interesting. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. We're going to see that jealousy never just stays the only issue. It invites other friends and other sins to come join it inside of your heart. In verse 12, Saul was afraid of David. He was fearful because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. Jealousy always isolates and always isolates you from the other person and other people in your life. So Saul sent him on. So Saul removed him from his presence, made him a commander of a thousands, and he went out and came in before the people. In verse 14, and David had success in all his undertakings. Here's why. The Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David for he went out and came in before them. Jealousy is one of those things that we know is not good. And when it rises up and it grabs us in our heart and it takes us by the throat, it's hard to get rid of. And it has a way of coloring our life and messing up relationships and doing such damage. I can remember my first year in college there was a guy in our major, my major, and he was a year, maybe two years ahead of me. And all of a sudden, I just had feelings that I didn't like this guy. And I, you know, as I shared, I don't, I never saw myself as a jealous person. I went all through high school, and I wasn't a gifted athlete. I wasn't a gifted student. I wasn't gifted anything. If I was gifted anything, I was really gifted at being average. You know what I mean? I was just kind of normal, like most people. And, you know, we weren't wealthy, weren't this. I was just kind of middle of the road, but I was never really like resentful or jealous or any of that. But for whatever reason, this guy, our major, I remember I had a class and I met him just like, I don't like this guy. And I, I remember just like, why do I not like him? Like, he's a really nice guy. He really was. He was articulate and smart and well-dressed and just all of it. And, and it kind of dawned on him. I'm like, I'm jealous of him. And I had a hard time figuring out why. And I think at the end of the day, because he was kind of everything that I wanted to be, and I kind of thought that I was not. You know what I mean? And that's the way jealousy, it just it grabs us. And it just it settles into our heart, and it's really a... Um, it really doesn't make sense. It makes us kind of psychotic and just like, why do I, why am I having such trouble with this person? I want us to understand, first off, the ugliness of jealousy and be really transparent with you. It's easy to just say jealousy bad, jealousy bad, don't be jealous. But if that's where we stand and is that's as deep as we dig into it, we're not going to deal with the ugliness in our heart, right? It's got to, we got to understand how nasty and ugly this really is. I thought about showing you a slide, but I kind of didn't want to gross you out this morning. It was a medical kind of slide. And my, I've got a bunch of medical people in my family, and I've got a bunch of non-medical people in my family. And the non-medical people in my family are tired of talking about medical things at the table because it always goes to the gross and disgusting and awful and just like, we've had enough. Like, we just... 
Time out. We don't get excited about any of that. But I will describe the picture to you, all right? So a woman had like a basal skin cancer on her nose. And, and rather than like digging it out and operating hard, they took some of it away. But it kind of like there's not a lot of skin on your nose. So if you take it off, there's kind of nothing to grow back. You know what I mean? It's just cartilage. And so what they did is they cut above her forehead kind of a slice, one on either side, the skin, and they took it and flipped it and had it attached here so that it would grow new skin here. And they took her forehead and like, you know, crammed it all together. And so she kind of looked like a little bit of an alien on that side of her head. Like just, it looked as bad as you are thinking right now, but I just don't want to show you the picture. All right. I looked at that and I said, Sean, you need to stay out of the sun, my friend, or you're going to end up like that lady one day. And so I have that image in my mind, and it is a great motivator. So if you see me driving around in the car in the summertime with a mask on, I'm not robbing a bank. I'm like, I am not dealing with the skin cancer stuff anymore. I'm done with it. So I want to paint a picture for you of ugliness of jealousy. It's ugly, folks. It is not pretty. It lurks under the ice in our heart, and it rises up, and it is not pretty. Ugliness, this jealousy at heart, is essentially you and me, we are living a completely self-centered, self-focused, self-interested, selfish life in that moment. That's the heart of it. We're not caring about the people around us. We're caring about us. It basically says, you have and I don't. It says, they have and I ought to have. I deserve I'm entitled. God, you're taking care of them better than you are taking care of me. And in essence, it's like, it's like you and I having a birthday party. If we were younger and you know, our parents are guardians and there are other people and our friends and family come in and we're opening a table full of gifts and birthday cake and all of that. And it's like you and me pouting and not liking what we just got, which is incredible because we didn't get one thing that our other friend had. And it's like us re being resentful and mom and dad are like, oh my goodness, like I worked so hard to provide this for you and this one, really this one thing is gonna make or break your whole life? Like you're so bothered because you don't have this one thing? And for you and me, you know, it'd be like the parent talking to us like, come on, can't you see reality? And we would still be like, but yeah, but this is just so important. This one thing really matters. Because what happens is, is that we begin to lose perspective in our life and it all becomes about that one thing in our world. So we become very self-focused. It's all about us in that moment. We don't care so much about the other people. We don't rejoice in their successes. We actually begin to feel bad when they're successful. We believe that we should be having that kind of success, and they shouldn't. And in the middle of it, covetousness and all kinds of other stuff comes in. So it's, it's like a corruption. It's like a, a death, a cancer that's in kind of our soul. One of my uh, favorite Christmas movies is The Grinch. You with me? Now, I like the old, like the 30-minute, the old school one, the Dr. Seuss one, you know. The new one, the new, new, new one, I know there's been a bunch of them. I don't know how old it is or whatever, but the, the chocolate explosion one, if you're a Grinch person, is that ringing a bell? Nobody? Nobody here? Can my Christmas people go with me? Some of you are like, all right. 
I need to put this in the email. It is a fantastic Grinch movie, and I'm liking it. So you got this picture of Grinch, right? His heart's two sizes too small, and he just doesn't like Christmas or like anybody being happy. That's what jealousy is inside of our soul. It is an ugliness. It is a cancer. It is a disease. And the good news is, is God says, I don't like that either, and I'm going to help get that out of you. That, in fact, is why I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for this ugly sin. Because make no mistake, we're responsible for our jealousy. We're not victims to it. We're responsible for it. We created the monster inside of us, right? The Grinch, I guess, is responsible for his own soul. It's not that just the world wasn't nice to him. He was responsible for his own soul, and you and I are as well. And God says, I sent my son Jesus to save you from the penalty of that, and I've sent my son to not just save you and to forgive you, but to get that out of you, to heal you, and to begin to, to, to solve that and help you to move beyond and to realize that there's something so much better for you. I want to show you a quick a little four-minute, really inspirational video that I saw. It was actually was on Right Now Media about a mom caring for her kids and how jealousy crept into her heart in a difficult situation. So can you go ahead and play that? My husband's a police officer, so that in itself gives us a crazy schedule. Um, he usually works nights. I work days, part-time right now. And we've got three really sweet kiddos. Um, we've got girl, boy, girl. So our middle son, he was really quiet. They said, call ECI by about 15 months if he doesn't have any words. So by 14 months, I was calling. We applied, and it takes four to six months to get into some of these specialty centers to get an a excellent evaluation. You know, he was diagnosed with autism, you know, and that was our middle guy. So there's still a baby underneath him and still an older sibling, just 18 months older. Um, so it was just, it opened up a whole new world of chaos for us. Even walking into the appointment for the diagnosis, my husband and I had talked on the way there. I was like, hey, just FYI, if we get a diagnosis and we walk out, that I would probably blame myself or, you know, say I did something wrong or, you know, just as a mom, you just take blame. Like if, if something goes wrong with your kids, oh, it's got to be my fault. And literally we walked out of that office and yeah, I just turned to my husband and fell into his arms and... You know, asked him to remind me it's not my fault that we didn't do anything wrong. So we just prayed right there um, in the middle of the parking lot, just prayed over our sweet little Jackson that his life would bring glory to God and that we as parents would not be overcome with feeling like it's our fault. The financial aspect of it is is ugly. Here I am in the midst of having this huge struggle of almost wanting to be home full-time, but yet those bills are piling up so much um, with all of his medical bills that we had to have me work at least a couple days a week just to kind of make all those ends meet. Our scenario looks different. Our lives look really different when you have a child with special needs from all aspects of life. Um, sometimes we can't go to certain restaurants because we have a child who will completely panic <laughs> in that environment. Um, and we can't go on vacations right now that are elaborate because we can't afford them. Seeing everyone on Facebook post things on these 
you know, Disney vacations or here we are at the beach or taking multiple trips throughout the year. And, you know, that in itself opened up just this whole new uh, world of seeing firsthand what other people are doing and able to do and what their lives are like. And then in walked immense envy and jealousy and just wishing we had a different life right now than what we were given, um, which we just quickly realized is just a really unhealthy perspective because there's nothing wrong with anyone posting things on Facebook. It's all my heart and my interpretation. It's hard right now to give everything over to the Lord. It's, you know, being on my knees with a child who is so frustrated that he can't tell me what he wants to have to get down on my knees in that moment and ask out loud, you know, Lord, help me be patient with him in this moment right now. I need help. And just acknowledging um, a lot throughout the days, I can't do this on my own. And then if I can just sit for a few minutes and rest and be reminded in his truth that, okay, he loves me. He has gifted us with a child with autism, and he has gifted us with two other daughters. You know, we just need to rest in that and love him and try to bring him glory throughout our days. What a, what a touching story. I'm so just inspired by the mom to be willing to share and openness. But, you know, as we think about this, the part of her story I want to focus on, so incredible life that she's been given and just it's natural to want what's best for your kids and your family. So sometimes we think of jealousy as bad because we want something that really is extravagant or we want something that's, you know, just unreasonable. And here she's just trying to have a normal, you know, family. And so jealousy in our life, regardless of the situation, it just it has a way of just destroying and corrupting our soul in the middle of that. It just really is ugly and it's tough to get rid of. And as you listen to her, just, you know, part of it was just also coping with the challenges and the, that she has in her world, but just having to regularly pray and deal with it. See, there's part of the insidiousness of jealousy is it's just really sticky. Have you ever gotten your, you know, stepped in the, I mean, really thick, like mud or just really something that's really sticky that you just can't get off your hands well? That's the way jealousy is. You're like, this is grabbing me. I don't want to be jealous. I don't like this. I, you know, and I saw that that guy when I was a, a a college freshman. I'm like, I didn't go in there thinking, oh, I want to be jealous today. Like, I didn't want to feel that way. I'm like, why am I feeling this way? How do I get rid of this feeling? It is tough to get out of your soul. We're going to talk about the cure and the prevention at the end, but for now, we just need to recognize it's just really bad when you and I are having a pity party about why we don't have something that we want or that we can't get this or we look at someone else and and we say, well, why do they have and not me? All of that. It's not any of their faults out there. It speaks to the ugliness in our soul. Now, let me share you the second part, the ramifications about what jealousy does in our life. King Saul was jealous of David. He shouldn't have been, but he was. Why are they ascribing him thousands to me? And to him, ten thousands to me, just thousands. You know, most of us would have said, I'd have been glad just to be on the list. You know, they're singing about you. They're not ignoring you. Why are you getting so uptight at this? Everybody knows you're king. But the way that jealousy works is it doesn't just stay alone. It throws a party inside your soul and inside your heart. And it invites friends. 
So David, Saul here is he is, you know, he's jealous in his heart, but then he gets angry. He gets full of hatred. He begins to rage and gets anger. And, and Jesus tells us later on, hey, if you hate your brother and you have anger there in your heart toward him, you begin as, as good as committed murder. And then he goes all the way to attempted murder. He has a javelin in his hand and he throws it at David, the guy that just defeated Goliath. By the way, be careful not to pick a fight with somebody that kills a giant. You're probably not going to win. You know, I mean, there's just some, just some common sense there. But he misses him. And then, believe it or not, he tries it again. And crazy story, he gets mad at his own son because his own son becomes best friends with David. And he tries to pin his own son to the wall, tries to kill his own son. He is so full of hatred and anger. He then even, with his own daughters, he's like, hey, I know what to do. I'm going to trick David into marrying one of my daughters. And by the way, I'm going to set a price. Just go and kill a hundred Philistines yourself hoping that David will die in the process. Meanwhile, messing with his daughter and his heart. Like, jealousy doesn't just stay the single issue into our soul. It brings, it's a gateway to all kinds of other problems in our life. And it has a way of coloring entirely into our life. It just becomes bigger than life because the Bible says is that from that day on, Saul eyed him. When he woke up in the morning, he's thinking, I wonder what David's doing today. He was watching. David just, he was just on David's watch. Isn't that the way jealousy happens? When you become jealous of someone or something, it becomes like a, a magnet. Sometimes it's not a person. Maybe it's a type of person or a situation. And every time you see it, you just go back. That jealousy kicks and just all of that is in there. And it just has a way of coloring into your whole world. And it just makes a mess in the process. And then it invites the enemy. It kind of gives the enemy a special avenue and opportunity to attack you. You see, the, the spiritual, this demon that came and visited Saul, he played on Saul's insecurity, played on his jealousy, played on his ego, all of that mixed in the middle of it. And as a result of it, Saul just became increasingly enraged. Now, it wasn't the enemy's fault. In fact, you and I can never, ever blame the enemy. We can never blame Satan or his minions for anything that we do. Oftentimes, Christians will kind of do that. Oh, the, really, the enemy really got me and got on me here and got me with that. Oh, really? No, it's on you. It's, it's the issue is sin. All that we do, what happens is, is when we have unconfessed sin in our life, it gives the enemy fertile ground to play on. It gives him more buttons to push in our soul. If there's unconfessed pride and jealousy and all these things, it's just like giving him a heyday into our soul, and he just gets to play on what's already there. We're providing the instrument. He just pulls it out and plays his music on it. And so when you and I have that jealousy that continues on, it just it allows even other further eroding into our life and into our heart in the process. And then ultimately, it isolates us from people. Saul is just like, hey, I'm going to get rid of him. You go out and be in charge and go fight the battles. What he was really doing was saying, I don't want to see you anymore. Get away from me, and I hope you die. <laughs> I'm going to put you out there, and I hope you die, because that's my number one goal. You see, when you and I have jealousy in our heart, 
even we usually don't hide it as well as we think we do. People may not realize that, that, you know, we may not realize if somebody is jealous of us, but we realize something's there. Something's off. We don't hide ourselves as well as we think we do. And so even if you're not sending somebody away, sending them off to battle, jealousy in our heart separates us. It completely breaks intimacy. You know, spouses sometimes can be jealous of one another, jealous of opportunity. And as soon as that jealousy is allowed in your heart and soul, you're breaking intimacy with your spouse. There's a separation inside of you. And so jealousy will always separate. And in Saul's case, because it brought in so many friends and he did not do like the wonderful couple that we saw on the screen that said, wait a minute, I'm jealous. Oh, there's something underneath the jealousy that I'm expecting a life that, you know, that it should be this way and it's not and dealt with that sin. Saul didn't do that. And not only did it isolate him from David, and isolate him from his own son. We don't have time to look at chapter 19, but you know, in the middle of that, 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 that Saul or David is kind of like, Jonathan, what's going on? Your dad doesn't like me. And Jonathan, Saul's son, goes in and talks to his dad, talks some sense to his dad. And his dad's like, you're right. David is a good guy. I've lost my mind. I shouldn't be you know, throwing spears at him. But then he ultimately gets mad all over again. And it separated him from his own son. It separated him from the people in his life. It made him ultimately a, just a bitter, insecure, resentful, jealous, angry man that messed up every area of his life. Now, you may not fall into as much jealousy as, as King Saul did, but whatever jealousy you allow in your heart, it will always create a separation and isolation, color into your life, and damage the relationships around you. And ultimately, whatever jealousy we've allowed and to, to stay in our heart and allow to feel captivated by, it changes our perspective of reality. That's the thing that's so striking to me in this, is that because Saul thought that he should be the guy, they should just be singing songs about me. This is about me. Remember, he's the one that built a statue of himself a couple of weekends ago when he had defeated the enemy. You know, he, to, instead of giving glory to God, he goes and builds a statue. And then Samuel was like, what are you doing? You didn't obey God in the middle of this. And so his whole perspective of reality was off. Isn't that the way jealousy is? When you become jealous of someone or a situation or feel like, well, you don't have what you should or what you want or deserve, you don't see reality the way it really is. Your perception is, is skewed. David, Saul should have just looked at David and said, man, I'm so glad I got a fighting man like him on my team. Nobody in my kingdom is calling for me to be ousted as king. Nobody is saying, hey, you ought to move over and let him become king. His kingdom was secure. He's like, my goodness, everybody loves him. What's left to give him besides the whole kingdom? You see, Saul thought that the kingdom was gained and kept by popularity. It was not. It was gained and kept by the grace of God giving it to him. I'll tell you a secret. There's a little bit of that Saul in all of us. We think that somehow we make our way in life and that we accomplish things by the popularity around us. And God's like, nope, I'm the one that's in control. 
And Saul didn't even understand how secure he was as king. Even though he was messing up and being a jerk and trying to kill his best warrior, <laughs> and kill his own son, hello, if there was ever a king that should have been impeached and removed from office, I know that doesn't work that way, it would have been him. And they still weren't calling for it. He just, it changes your sense of reality. And you think that everything a person does and says it's more and more that they're doing it somehow, propping themselves up and as an attack on you, and it feeds it, and it's not. You don't see reality the same way. So how do you cure, and better yet, how do you prevent jealousy? How do you get over it? That's the way emotions are, right? It's an emotion. Most emotions I've said really are not necessarily bad. They really... When they feel bad to us, they're usually an indicator that there's something wrong. So jealousy and anger and hatred and all of that should be like a light on your dashboard in the car that says, Ooh, warning light, check engine, there's something wrong in your heart. They're a check heart light is what they are. And really what's going on with jealousy, when that emotion grabs us, there's something underneath it that we need to pay attention to. And so initially, when that emotion comes, we shouldn't see ourselves just as a victim of circumstance that, well, I deserve it and I just can't control it and can't help it. I've been there. I get it. Emotions grab me like they do you. And I muddle my way through it and deal with it. And when I look back, I'm like, yeah, that was all me. But in the middle of it, you feel like you're helpless, even though you're not. But the first step in it is, is to recognize it for what it is. And that is something that we're responsible for and it's bad. And then the next step, when we get to that point, when we realize we're responsible for it, we're stuck, we're kind of our foot's in the trap and we can't get out of it, the next step is to say, God, would you help me? I know that I shouldn't feel this way. I know that I shouldn't. This person's wonderful. And they absolutely, I should be celebrating their success or their victory or what they have or what, whatever is going on in their life or this situation. But Lord, I know I'm messed up, and I know what's inside of me. Would you help me? Would you forgive me, and would you help me out of that mess? You see, there's only one sin solution in this world. There's not two, there's not three, there's not ten. There's one, and his name is Jesus. So even though these, these things are hard for us to deal with, the really the big secret sauce in it is, is going to God and saying, God, forgive me. I recognize it. I see it the way it is, and I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to fix my heart. I can't do it. We should stop being so prideful. You know, we get cancer. We know we can't fix it ourselves. We go to a doctor. We break a leg. We know we can't fix it ourselves. We go to somebody else, and we don't sit around with a broken femur and just like, well, I can't fix it. Well, most of us shouldn't, all right? Some of you are a little more stubborn than others, and I'm in that boat too. I, I can deal with it. I'll take care of it. But we go to somebody else to fix it. But when it comes to our heart, we somehow don't want to deal with it, and we make excuses, and in our pride, we don't admit it and go to, to get help. And we should just be simply, God, I can't heal this. Would you help me? And I don't know how God does this, but the Holy Spirit, through the work that Jesus did on the cross for our sin, that He paid for our forgiveness and paid for our fixing, our healing, the Holy Spirit begins to work in our life and change us. 
in ways that we can't alone. So that's really the first step. When you realize this, it's like, "Uh uh-oh, I've got a problem. God, help me, I'm stuck. And then ask God to show you what patterns of sin or what might be underneath that. Because usually underneath that is an expectation in your life that life should be giving me this, and it's not. All of us expect more than God really wants to give us, folks. We do. We think life is going to work out a certain way. We struggle with it our whole life. We especially struggle with it with our younger because we just don't have enough bumps and scrapes and bruises yet on us to know that it just doesn't work that way. Eventually, we begin figuring it out, and it's painful. But regardless where we all are on the spectrum of that, is that we have to realize that that we do not have the right to tell God what He wants us to do. And we believe that we deserve better. And that's really the insidiousness part of this sin that's underneath just the emotion and the feeling of jealousy. And that's why we begin to think, well, God's let me down. God's done a terrible, He's been a terrible parent. He's been a great parent to that person, but I'm the, you know, the, the, the child over here that He's not loving as much as He is that person. And we have to recognize that the problem in our heart is we are lacking gratitude for what God has done. We have to recognize that there's an expectation that we're placing on God. And then in those moments and in that area of our life that we've been leading and we've been expecting. And in a way, we've been demanding in our heart toward God. And we have to confess that stuff to Him. And we don't even realize it's in there until it gets there. Another time that jealousy popped up in me a few years ago, I was visiting with a, uh, a friend, and I was actually kind of helping him and his church think about church planting, and, and I stayed with him and, and his, his family in their home, and it was a beautiful home. And it was at a time in my home that if, if you've known me very long, my, I love where I live, and you will go there and say, this is a wonderful place to live, wonderful house. It has a chunk of my flesh and blood in this place. Like, I've had so much headaches with this house. It was just unbelievable. Just like, can I just have water to work and work the right way and just everything? And so I go into this, this, this house, and I was, you know, I was content. I know that God had given us a good place to live. But all of a sudden, this thought, like, well, why does he get to live in such a great house that has no problems whatsoever? And like, all of this. And next thing I know, I'm thinking about the house, and I'm like, Sean, this is not what you should be thinking about right now. This is not something you should be thinking about at all. And what happened is, is a jealousy was pointing to something underneath it. That in the middle of the pain, and that's how this pops up. That's how she discovered in the video her jealousy, right? In the middle of the pain, God allows the pain points to put pressure or squeeze in on us. And when it squeezes in on us, that's when we discover some of the things that are our heart and soul, the fish swimming under the ice, And I had to confess that. It didn't take terribly long to deal with it, but I had to recognize and confront it and say, God, there's something bigger. You're dealing with a sin pattern in my heart, and you allow him to work with it. You see, along the way, you and I have to kind of well up. We go to God, but we have to well up in our heart to deal with this thing. Have you ever exercised or done something that you had to kind of gear up to do, to do that you really didn't want to do, but you knew you needed to do. You know what I mean? Like, okay, let's get with it. I I don't know if you talk to yourself. I do a little bit. All right, we're going to do this today, right? I really don't want to. I kind of want to sit on the couch or whatever. That's kind of the way we got to deal with our heart and soul. When that stuff pops up, you can't lay around and just lounge. 
Like, you got to see it for the enemy that it is, and the enemy is us, and it's inside of us. And you got to step up and uh, say, God, help me. And then you take kind of the next step, and you say, God, forgive me, help me, and now I see what you're dealing with. And God, forgive me for lacking gratitude. That even in the middle of the problems that I'm having, that I've forgotten to thank you in the middle of all of that. And I've allowed myself to fall into a little bit of a pity party without even realizing it. And you begin to thank God for what he's done. You begin to focus and worship God and what he's doing. And you begin to you remove that fairness card. See, that's what's really ultimately underneath the jealousy of somebody else. You think that God's job, we think in that moment, God's job is to bless us the exact same way that he's blessing the other people that we see as having more blessings than us. And folks, that's not what God wants to do. God wants to bless his children all the same way when it comes to salvation and changing our lives. He doesn't really care to give us all the same on the outside. We focus on all of that stuff. Like, you know, how our family turns out, or our life, or our job, or our house where we live, and all of these things. That we just, we want all of that to be perfect. And God's like, yeah, I'm not worried about that. You know what? I'm going to allow you to experience pain and trouble out there, because what I'm really working on to bless you is in here. I'm trying to change you and make you like my son. I want you to experience grace and gratitude and love and forgiveness and joy and peace. Unbelievable. And it will never be found in a wonderful life out there. And so we have to say, God, you have taken care of me far beyond what I deserve. Immensely beyond that. And forgive me for putting a demand on you in my heart without even realizing it. Forgive me for putting greater stock in the things around me than what I should be. Forgive me for diminishing and minimizing the real work that you're trying to do inside of me. That's when we start dealing with that and we start valuing those things, I'll tell you a secret. Jealousy just goes out the window because it doesn't matter anymore, and it does, we don't care, because the value and whatever we put on things has evaporated, and then we can genuinely rejoice when our friend has this or that without any thought to ourselves, and then we deal with the challenges in our heart, and this is, this is deep water living for God, because sometimes it's hard, as the video we saw, that's why I pointed that out. Sometimes it's us saying, God, this is really hard, but we get to the place where we say, God, it's okay. I'm going to walk through hard things because I trust you. See, ultimately, when we're jealous of God or others or something in our heart, it's because we're not trusting God's care over our life. And when you and I stop trusting God, that's when really bad stuff happens. Bitterness and frustration and jealousy and anger and all kinds of things and disillusionment and despair and all sorts of stuff flood into our soul and it all traces back to trust. You can't get to that trust without kind of walking the process. God, this is sin. Help me. Where is it coming from? Walk through it. God, now I'm going to praise and give you thanks and glorify you. So to stay out of jealousy and this other stuff, just keep living here. Thank God for the little things in your life and all the things and even the things that are challenging and thank get 
our heart lined up with His. And when we do, it will prevent it. Will it always 100% prevent it? No, because that fish is still swimming around under the ice. And it still pokes its head up every once in a while. But the longer you walk with Jesus, the fish shrink. And they don't come up quite so often. And when they do, you can hit them over the head and they go away, right? And you can kind of move on. It gets easier in some ways than that in life. But let's don't miss the seriousness of jealousy in our soul. In the holiday season, Christmas season, is such an easy time of year for that. And I'm not thinking so much the presence under the tree, although that can be a part of it. But just looking around thinking that everybody else is happy and got the perfect life and got what they want and got this and why can't I? Be careful with the emotions and the jealousies and the things that are underneath and recognize it for what it is and recognize that God has a way of allowing that pain in our life because He's trying to bless us even more than what we thought just by the other things around us. And He's trying to grow us and help us to appreciate what He's done. Because frankly, it's not popular preaching, but it's real. God doesn't owe any of us in this room a single thing. The moment you and I sin before holy God in heaven, we deserve death and hell eternally without any option or opportunity of any spare grace whatsoever. And the fact that he allowed you to live and grow even in the middle of that and have opportunity even this morning to know him and have the opportunity to follow him it's such amazing grace in our life that God owes us nothing. And we kind of need to live in that space a lot more than we really do. And when we do, it helps take care of a lot of other things in our life. Well, Sean, you're just a super spiritual person. You just must live that way and all that. Yeah, I don't any more than you do. But I try. And I recognize the roots of those things. And we need to wrestle for our soul. Get off the couch and say, okay, I'm going to work through this by God's grace. So I don't know where you are this morning with jealousy or any sin. It's only one of many things in our life. But Jesus is the only solution. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've grown up your whole life going to church, believing in God, knowing Him, but you've never kind of just made that commitment to say, God, I know that I need you to be in charge of my life. I don't trust anything but what Jesus did on the cross. I encourage you, if you've never made that commitment to surrender your life to Him, to make that commitment today. Then all of your sins, including jealousy, that you've done in the past, that you'll ever do in the future, are forgiven. And then, as junk surfaces and as God's trying to grow you in your life, you go back to that same grace that God's already given you, and allow Him and, and confess those, and He changes you and makes you better and better. Being forgiven of your sin doesn't make you perfect, but it puts you on a journey toward perfection that God one day will ultimately complete in your life when you're in heaven. But until then, we're, we are all a target-rich person for God's changing work in our lives. There's plenty of targets 
that he works in. So I don't know where you are in the middle of all of that, but respond to what God's been talking to you about today. So pray with me. Thank you for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at River of Life Church or find us online on Facebook, YouTube, or at riveralbany.com.